Well, good morning. Good to see you today. You ready for a miracle? You know, who doesn't want a miracle today? That went well. It's what I wanted to hear. You know, when we think about what would it take in our own life to be, for us to say that was a miracle, I want you to get that in your head right now. For you personally, what would it take right now in your mind, in your heart, to say, if that happened, that would be a miracle? That's what you want to believe God for. What we do is we reduce God down to our level of satisfaction versus victory. What God wants us to do is expand our heart, expand our mind, and say, what would it look like if I showed up and nobody could get the credit except me? And the process of refining that God does in our life is that process of getting ready of us so that he can enter the scene, stage front, and say, I am God. And we want that, but sometimes we're resistant of it because we think, well, what if God doesn't come through? What if God doesn't do what I ask him to do? I've heard my whole life, I've even said it myself, Well, I tried that, and I didn't see God work. But I want you to know I've also tried that, and I've seen God work. We want to get out on the edge. We want to see what God can do, and we're going to do that in this series called Miracles That Change Lives. We don't want to just see the campaign be successful. We want to see you be successful. We want to see your personal life grow. We want to see you in the power of the Holy Spirit doing way beyond what you could ever think you could do, impacting people you never thought you would impact, having a hope and having a future. I was in a discussion this past week with someone, and, they, and we talked about how the climate is, is different than it was, for example, even five years ago. And they asked me, what do you think the difference is? And I said, I think reduced hope. I think people are living with less hope than they used to live with. They're operating maybe at 70% when they used to operate at 80 or 90% hope. And what happens is the, the, the world we live in and the complexity of where we live, it drains us emotionally, spiritually, and every other way. And so we function almost robotically trying to kind of get the hope back into our life. And I want you to know that Jesus is your hope. Your hope is not found in this world. Your hope is found in Jesus. Would you say that with me? My hope is found in Jesus. Let's try it one more time. My hope is found in Jesus. If you try to find it any other place, you are going to be hopeless. Because life, society, people, everybody else are going to disappoint you, but Jesus will not disappoint you. And what we need to understand is what God is up to in our world, and let God be God. Let God work in our heart in a really great and mighty way. So here's the first thing I want you to understand. Don't limit God. Let's say that together. Don't limit God. You see, what we do is we put barriers up and say, well, I don't think God would do that. Let God decide that. He is an adult. (laughs) He can speak for himself. Let God decide what God can do. But don't limit God and say, well, I don't think God's going to do that. You see, what that is is a negative confession that drives away the power of God. It drives away the hope that's in the heart. 
You don't want to drive anything away. You want to protect at all costs your hope. You want to protect at all costs the anointing that God puts on you to live in this world successfully and powerfully. And when you start to rehearse in your mind the negative stuff is just draining away hope, faith, and trust that God wants you to have. Here's the second thing. I want you to push beyond your spiritual comfort level. Push beyond your spiritual comfort level. Everyone has a spiritual comfort level. For example, if you ever see anybody speak on stage, there are people that are comfortable on the stage and people that aren't comfortable on the stage. And one of the first things you learn is if you're going to look natural, you have to get uncomfortable. I can't stand up here like this and you get really excited about what I'm saying. I got to do this, <laughs> right? Or do you want me to do this? And I just hope you love Jesus and just have a great day. And you know, all is really going to be good. No, you want this. Because what it does is it, it's, it just sinks down in your heart because you go, yes, that looks natural because it's, it's out of my comfort zone to do that. I want to do the other. But God is wanting us to all push outside of the realm of our personal spiritual comfort zone. Also, watch this. God honors little faith, but he honors great faith. Which do you want? Little faith? may bring little results. Great faith, great results. Which would you rather have? Great results, little results. One, great, hey, that's great, you're talking now. It doesn't feel natural, but it, you look normal when you do that. When you sit back like this, you're going, oh yeah. Wake that guy up, put the, put the machine on him and charge his heart up one more time, get him alive. But you see, what we want to do is we want to say, God, I want to see you do great and mighty things in my life, in my family, in my job, in the world in which I live. Now, we're going to look at an interesting story from the book of 2 Kings chapter 13, so you can open your Bibles up with me and we'll take a look at this. It's a, it's a really interesting story in so many ways where we've captured, I believe, some of the key miracles in this series that we'll be looking over the next uh, five weeks that are going to really give you the, the substance to kind of springboard you into a miracle in your own personal life. So let's look at 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to begin looking at verse 14. Elisha had become sick with an illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him, wept over his face, and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. Now, right there, you kind of go, well, I don't know what's going on in the story. Well, let me tell you what's going on. Syria, this is how relevant this scripture is, Syria was bearing down and had already taken some of the territory of Israel. Joash, the king, much like his, the, the fathers before him, had served wicked gods they had been unfaithful to God, and God had just said, I'm just going to open the door to Syria, let Syria come in and defeat you if you're not willing to trust me. Do you know that's what God does? When you don't trust God, you know what he does? He'll let the window open just a little bit, prop the door open, he'll let the enemy come in and break you down so that you begin to trust in God. Did you hear me? God will do that. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. He's God. The first rule of God is God is God and you're not. The second rule is God does what he wants, when he wants, to whom he wants. Third rule is he doesn't have to give an explanation. That's the quali quality of being God. Being non-God, I have to understand and respond to what God does. 
So anyway, he comes down, he weeps over him, and it looks really like compassionate and winful, but really, you know why he's doing this? He's in trouble. When I get in trouble, I go to God and I cry too, don't you? So he goes and here's this man of God, he cries over him, and then he says, uh, the chariots of God, the chariots of God, and he's remembering back to, to the book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 12, where Elisha was taken up in this, this chariot of fire, and he brings his mind back to that moment. But look what he says here. He says, the chariots of, of Israel and their horsemen, and Elisha said unto him, take a bow and some arrows. I love this. He doesn't go, gee, thanks for showing up, I haven't been feeling well. He says, enough of this. I know what's really in your heart, Joash, and what's in your heart is not faith, so I'm going to show you something. I'm going to walk you through a parable. I'm going to give you an illustration, and I'm going to change the way that you look at life. And here's what he says. So Elisha says, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows, and then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. Now look what he says. He tells him here, I want you to take something. I want you to get involved. I want you to be action-oriented in your life. Do not believe that waiting on God means you sit back and do nothing. There's a Hebrew word for that. You know what it is? Write this down. D-U-M-B. <laughs> Dumb. That is not how you see God work in your life. You, you trust in the Lord, but you are actively involved. He says, grab the bow. He puts his hands on that bow with him, and he says, I'm going to show you what you need to do. God sometimes will put his hand on us and show us what to do. Then he'll take his hand off and say, now go do that. Now go do what I've shown you to do. So look what it says here. So he opened, verse 17, he said, open the east window, and he opened it, and Elisha said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the arrow is the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria, and you must strike the Syrians at effect till you have destroyed them. Now what he's saying is, there's no easy way out of this conflict. You're going to have to fight. Can I tell you there is no easy way out of the conflict you're in right now? The problem you're facing right now, there is no easy way out. There is a way out, but there's no easy way out. There is the faith way, which you might call the easy way, but if you really start believing God, you'll find out faith is not as easy as it seems. Amen? All right? I mean, when you really trust God, when you really bear down with God, you're going, God, if you don't come through, I have had it. That is work. That is labor. So here he says, he says, I want you to take the bow, I want you to shoot it, shoot it toward the east, and you must strike the Syrians at effect till you have destroyed them. Seems a little harsh. And yet we're going to see a little bit more of this story as we go on. Look with me in verse 18. And he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Take the arrows and strike the ground. Now, I don't know if about you, but I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know what this crazy prophet's doing. Take the arrows, strike the ground. So he, he notice what he does. So he struck the ground three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. He struck the ground just like the, the, the man of God told him to do. He struck it three times and he gets mad at him. And he goes, you know, why did you strike the ground only three times? 
He was angry. He said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. So the number of times he struck the ground was a picture of the faith he had and the completeness of the victory he was going to have. I think a lot of people only are striking the ground two or three times and wondering why God hasn't come through. He's saying, don't have little faith, have great faith. Don't have partial victory, have complete victory in your personal life. See what God can do. Let God show up. And then I love the next verse. The Bible is just so amazing. And then it says, after that, then Elisha died. (laughs) Then Elisha died and they buried him. I mean, you wouldn't even have to make a joke out of that. I just read the scripture and you thought that was funny. I mean, he told him what to do. He gets all mad and then he died. And the rest of the story, and we're going to come back to this and explain it as we go, but the rest of the story is really interesting. It says, and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So we're going to assume that Elisha died maybe in the fall, in the summer, and then it went a cycle here. And so they're out here in the springtime, and he put the man... uh, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha, and when the man was let down, so this guy died, and they said, well, let's get him out of the way here because we've got battles to fight. Let's put him down in this, this tomb here. And they put him down. He touched the bones of Elisha. He revived and stood on his feet. Now, if that does not get your attention, I don't know what does. And all of this is woven in. God has something to teach us. God has something to tell us. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to ask yourself, how can I move in the divine flow of God? How can I move in the divine flow of God? If you've ever gone down a river, if you've ever done any, any rafting or anything, and you know, all you've got to do is just get that raft right in the middle of that river and just hold on for dear life. And that's what, that's what you want to do with the Spirit of God. You want to get your raft, so to speak, get your life right in the center of the stream and hold on for dear life because you want to let the Spirit of God carry you instead of taking those oars and trying to row upstream and saying, gosh, it's so hard to love Jesus, so hard to follow Jesus, I hope I make it, and all of a sudden you go back again because you're going against the stream. We want to get in the divine flow of God. So why did Joash come to Elisha? He was in trouble. Let's say that together. He was in trouble. And why was Elisha uh, angry with the king? Well, now watch this. This prophet, who was a seer, I don't know how much he saw into the future. It could be that he looked down the corridors of time and he saw not next year, not five years. It could have been been that he saw 2,500 years into the future. He looked into our day, today. He saw Syria and what Syria would be doing and how they would be a conflict to the nation of Israel. And he saw that down that corridor. Maybe what he saw was this nation of Israel rising up in 1948. Maybe he saw this Syrian-Israeli conflict where there would be, and by the way, there have been no diplomatic ties in those two countries since Israel became a nation. Maybe he would see that Syria was engaged in and really a key component in the war of 1948 to establish it as a nation, 1967, the Six-Day War, and 1973 war. Maybe he would see that, and he would know that something's going on here, something has to change. Maybe he looked down the quarters of time, and he saw 6.5 Syrians displaced because of a despotic ruler named Assad. And he saw the heartache, and he saw the pain. 
I want you to know the scripture looks down the corridor of time. He looks in and the scripture looks into your life. It looks into my life as God looks into our life and he sees the future pain. He says, if you will listen to me, if you will follow me, I will stop that. You won't be displaced like 6.5 million Syrians. You won't be like the 100,000 plus Syrians who died at the hands of a despotic ruler. Maybe he looked down the corridor of time and he saw that alliance with Syria and Iran and knew what that all meant. And he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you a chance right now, king, to stop the decay that's in the future of the nation of Israel. But you had such little faith. You had such little stuff going on in your life. You couldn't see it and you couldn't do it. Maybe what he saw is what we see, the application is pretty clear, that we have to break destructive patterns of doubt and self-reliance in our life. We think we got stuff handled. We think we're doing pretty good, and we kind of navigate down the road of life, and things are kind of coming together for us, and what we don't realize is how self-reliant instead of God-reliant we have become. Let me ask you this. How much victory do you want? You want little victory or great victory? Pick up more arrows. Don't hold back. Declare more victory, more anointing. God wants and God expects more. I called around to some of my friends and I said, I need some arrows. And they said, we don't have arrows. We've got guns, but we don't have any arrows. (laughs) So one of my buddies, Randy, he made these for me. He said, I can make you some arrows. You really can't shoot them, but they'll look kind of cool. And he said, do you want to break them? I made them out of, no, I don't need to break them. I just need to pound them on the ground. <laughs> How many times do we pound it on the ground? How much? More? More? How many times are you going to pound your arrow on the ground? How many times are you going to see God come through? How many arrows are you going to pick up and start shooting in the direction God says to shoot? You see, these are all illustrations to remind us, remind us that we have to trust God. It's not enough to do this. There's something in us that says keep going, keep going, just keep pounding away. See what God can do. Pick up the arrows and shoot them and see the hand of God in your life. And then we need to renew our spiritual vision. You know, sometimes you read the scripture and you go, now I see it. Have you ever had those moments? Oh, I see it now. And what you're really saying is the Holy Spirit has spoken to me from his word. He's given me insight into that passage. God also wants to give you insight into your future and what he wants to do in your life and through your life. In 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 17, let me, just, let me just take you to this back again and look at these scriptures again. Open the east window. Why the east window? Because in the east, Syria had already taken part of Israel. You know what he's saying? Strategy. You hit where the enemy starts. You don't go over here and try to defend an area that's weak. You go over here and you hit the enemy straight on. You, dear friend, hit the enemy straight on. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Stand, stand against the enemy in that situation. Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. He said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek. I don't even know where Aphek is. 
I have to look on my map to find out where Effect is. But I know what happened at Effect. I know it because I've been studying Scripture for a while. And I know how significant Effect is. You know what happened at Effect? There was this, this prophet, this priest named Eli, and he had two ungodly sons named Hophni and Phinehas, which was part of their problem. They had names like Hophni and Phinehas, <laughs> Right? And they were ungodly. It says they burned strange fire. And what that means is that they were worshiping false gods. And they got themselves in a mess. They got themselves in a battle. And Israel was losing, 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 losing. And finally, these two bright bulbs (laughs) said, let's get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. We'll take it into the battle. And they had a little chant they sang, "The, the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Lord. And they said, surely God will defend the ark. He won't let the ark be taken. And they went out, and the ark was taken in battle. Hophni and Phinehas died. They came back, they gave the report to Eli that the two boys had died, and he didn't seem to be too moved by that. But when they said and the ark of the Lord was taken, it says that the glory of the Lord has departed. Look what it says in the scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 21. The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. It says he fell over and died when he heard the ark was taken. Can I tell you when the glory of God departs from your life, you are dead. When you try to take something and push it out in front of you and say, God will defend me, God will defend me, and you're not living your life for God, do not count on it. See, the glory doesn't leave sometimes all at once. Sometimes it's just departing. It just kind of begins to fade out of our life, and we really don't see it. We really don't know it. But the minute we say, wait a minute, the glory of God is departing from my life, I'm I'm missing out on something here, and all of a sudden we renew our mind, we renew our heart, and God begins to stir. We just need to pray, God, stir my heart. Would you just say that? Stir my heart, God. Stir my heart for your spirit. Stir my heart for your glory. Let me love you and, and follow you and seek after you with all my heart and all my mind. Can I tell you this? The the point of departure is the point of return. Where did you walk away from God in your faith? Where did you walk away from God in trust? Where did you walk away from God? Go back to that point and say, God, I'm going back to that point, and I want you to restore and renew in me. One of the songs that our band has written is called Align. We sang it today, but listen to just part of that words. Align my heart with your perfect will. Let my passions reflect what stirs your heart. It's time for alignment. It's time to to get our hearts back toward God, toward what God wants to do. We have, uh, we're really blessed here. We have uh, some pretty cool stuff that in technology-wise, I'm going to go ahead and put on a a pair of Google Glass, and uh, if I can get all these to work right, and it's not working. Okay, we're going to try this one more time. Craig? Okay, glass. 
Now, right now, I'm using a technology that I can, I, it's basically a, a head-mounted computer with a screen on it. And I could take a video of you right now. Then we could go back and play it back and see who's sleeping, who's paying attention, who's writing notes, who's jabbing one another, say, is this guy ever going to get done? But I want to illustrate something here. Listen to what it says. What shall we do? What shall we do? So he answered and said, do not fear those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now, what kind of opening was he asking for? He was asking for an opening of his spiritual senses to see into a fourth dimension, if you will, things that he could not see in the physical dimension. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, the scripture says, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots all around Elisha. Technology is a pretty amazing thing, is it not? But I want you to know God has even better technology. Now, here's what God did. God wanted to show us something about our limitations, and so he created something that we call electromagnetic spectrum. And that basically are the frequencies that allow us to see and hear and operate within. If we took that electromagnetic spectrum and we made a linear line out of it, we took and just made a line out of that, it would be 300 billion miles long. That's how broad that spectrum is. Now let me show the limitations that God put on you and I as humans. We can only see the equivalent of one inch one inch within that 300 billion mile linear spectrum of electromagnetics. We're almost blind. We are. But what happened in this story here we find in the, in the book of Kings is that God gave the ability to see into another dimension, into another spectrum, if you will, of spiritual truth that was not previously available to the servant, but watch this, was available to Elisha. Elisha saw the servant didn't. Some people can see into the spiritual realm and some people can't. Some people know what God is doing and some people don't have a clue what God is up to. What God wants us to do is begin to tap into that spiritual dimension to where we begin to see with the eyes of faith, begin to understand what God is doing in the world around us. Because you see, that spiritual dimension comes by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He begins to show us things, and we begin to see what God is up to. God wants us to be bold in what we do. Back in 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 18, Elisha said, take the arrows, Take the arrows. He took them. He said to the king, strike. And that word strike means to beat. It wasn't like this. You know, just take an arrow and, and do one of these things. Come on, God. No, it was one of these. Faith has to have depth. It has to have some strength to it. It has to have something that digs in deep to a strike the ground, and he struck the ground three times and he stopped. He said, you should have struck it five or six times. The real issue is can you believe God deeply for what you want to see God do in your life? 
2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 20, it says, then Elisha died and they buried him. What an, why, God, you put this here? And what's the, why would we include this in this passage, in this sermon that we're doing here? Why is this significant? It seems like it's an addendum to what's happening. The story starts with him sick, it ends with him dead, it ends with him then sending life forward. Raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year, so it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. They put the man in the tomb of Elisha. When the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elisha. He revived and stood on his feet. Here is the truth. Miracles don't stop when you die. Your legacy lives beyond the days of your life. See, how you pray and how you live, who you touch, has eternal consequences. If someone was standing up here today and they were giving your, your eulogy and they were talking about what, is, what contribution did you make to life in the, in the faith realm, what would they say? You know, influence, this is just the beginning of what God is doing here in this place. You and I have had the privilege of laying the foundation for generations to come. The birth of this church is more than just a legal or an organizational kind of a process. It is a divine mystery shaped by the very hand of God. The apostle Paul called it a mystery which was hidden from the beginning of the ages, but is now, now made known. Now we understand this mystery of God. One day you will be captivated. It'll hit you when you don't expect it. You'll be captivated with the thought that together we seize an opportunity to do something that most Christians in the world will never have a chance to do, and that is to birth a church. Everybody has the option to go to a church. Everyone has the option to go to a church and act as though they're a consumer and try to say, what do I like, what do I don't like? And that is the world we live in. Like it or not, that is our world. But how many can say, I was there in the foundations, in the laying the, the very spiritual foundations of prayer and truth and love and labor and everything. And I was there when that happened. We prayed hard, we've worked hard, we've laughed, we've cried, we've laughed at ourselves, we've sacrificed hard-earned money. We've believed that this place was sacred ground. And what I've come to understand is when we dig deep and when we fight hard, when we struggle long, we enjoy the sweetness of victory beyond all comparison. And if you don't dig deep and you don't work hard and you don't pray hard and you don't believe hard, you don't get to feel what, what, what you're, God wants you to feel. God wants you to dig down in deep. I've learned some things about us. We have a can-do attitude. If we didn't have a can-do attitude, we would never be here. I don't know. I walked through this room. We walked through it last night, my wife and I did, and we prayed over this, this, uh, this worship center. We went to the coffee shop and just prayed through all the rooms, and, and I just kind of walk around, and I go, I really don't know how we got all this. I don't know how in the world we finished all the construction in 120 days. That, to me, seems like a miracle, let alone how in the world we paid for it. And yet God was doing something. God is doing something in our midst. We also, I've come to understand that yes, oozes out of our DNA. 
Sometimes it's our own fault. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We do that. And then we've got things stacked up and everybody's exhausted running around going, don't say yes anymore. But we are convinced that a great movement is on our doorstep. The pathway is clear and a harvest is huge and the time to act has come. We need to act on what God wants to do. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. God doesn't set the limit. You do. See, God didn't tell Joash, no, you can only hit it three times. Jesus said, according to your faith, so it be unto you. God doesn't set limits. We set the limits. We create a God that we can manage, a God that's the size that we want, and we say, that's what our God, that's what my God does. My God helps me get a parking place when I'm at the mall, <laughs> which I always appreciate God doing that for me. And I do pray, yes, God, I want a nice close parking place so I don't have to worry about, you know, losing weight or getting into exercise. <laughs> it is funny when you drive by 24-hour fitness and everybody's fighting for the first parking places. Everybody knows that? <laughs> Go, what? What? You're right? Let me ask you this question. How many times will you strike the ground? You know, when my wife came to me and told me she wanted to give X number of dollars to this campaign, I knew God had spoken to her. And I knew that was digging deep for her. And she was striking the ground more than three times. What would it take for you to start picking up those arrows? Just like that. How many times? How many times did you strike the ground? How many times? Here's what I want you to do. Why don't you stand up with me right now? You can remain seated if you want, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand like this. I want you to take your fist. Okay? And I want you to start striking your hand. How many times do you want to see? You just decide. Sound like rain's coming. And every time you're hitting that, I want you to be thinking, God, each time I hit my hand, it's representative of how much faith I want to put forth. Some of you have already quit. It hurts my hand. Aw. Are you done? You know what faith is? It's perseverance. It's refusing to quit. It's staying in the fight until the victory comes. It's seeing what God can do. It's not holding back. Don't hold back. Let God work. Amen? Amen. Now, as we sing, as the band leads us in this song, I want God to begin to stir your heart. If you'd like to take communion, there are tables at the front on both sides. We'll also have uh, an usher walking around with a tray for those of you who find it hard to maneuver your way through the crowd. But also there's a cross over here where you can take and put a prayer request and just put something up there. And our prayer team will take that and they'll pray for you. They'll lift you up. If you'd like to, someone to pray with you, we'll have members of our prayer team at both sides of the, of the front of the building. 
We'll also be here afterwards to pray for you. And I know some of you have already, uh, we've already talked to you about coming and letting us pray with you and over you for some healing in your life. And if you need, if you need someone to pray for you for your healing in your life, then please hang around and let us do that at the end of this service. But right now, let's enjoy this sweet communion with God. Would you do that?